Welcome to the Formula Bone F1 show. I'm Jared Borislow, but you can call me J-Bone. It is now time to recap the 2022 Miami Grand Prix. J-Bone! On my Miami Grand Prix preview podcast, I gave you four storylines to follow throughout the race weekend. It's time to see how those shaped up. The first storyline was, does the Miami International Autodrome favor Ferrari or Red Bull? So I stated on that podcast that while conventional wisdom dictated that the circuit favored Red Bull due to the three straights benefiting Red Bull's superior straight line speed that they've been showing this season, I, J-Bone, was going to spit in the face of conventional wisdom and proclaim that the Miami International Autodrome favored Ferrari over Red Bull due to the porpoising and drag upgrades that Ferrari were bringing, as well as their new engine spec. Turns out, conventional wisdom is conventional for a reason, folks, and I should not have doubted it, because Red Bull definitely, definitely had the upper hand at the Miami International Autodrome due exactly to the reason I pointed out and then disregarded. Their straight line speed is just unmatched in the F1 field right now. It's truly a sight to behold. Max was so fast, just zoomed by Leclerc. Couldn't get caught by him at the end. They are so fast in a straight line, it is pretty wild to see. Some other teams need to find some upgrade to get close to them, or else, I don't know, Red Bull looking pretty good right now, folks. It looked like Ferrari's season to lose, but Imola here in Miami, Red Bull's looking pretty good, especially Max. I mean, think about this, okay? Max had a terrible Friday. Two practice sessions are on Friday, and Max barely got to be out on the track. So he had significantly less time on track than the Ferrari drivers did, and he still put together that performance that he did on Sunday. Max is, he's the driver we all know he is. Incredible driver, and he's really showing it this season. I mean, in a car that's hardly reliable, he is, he's putting forth some great efforts. I'm going to say right now, I think, I think Max right now, front runner, World Drivers Championship. Just saying. Just saying. So, like I said, conventional wisdom is conventional for a reason. Red Bull had the upper hand at the Miami International Autodrome, which is why Max Verstappen took P1 and fastest lap, with Leclerc taking P2 and Carlos Sainz taking P3. Now, you may be wondering... Why Ferrari had two podium positions to Red Bull's one in Miami if the circuit favored Red Bull. And that is because Red Bull's reliability issues struck again at the Miami Grand Prix. Checo suffered a sensor malfunction around lap 19 that caused him to lose 30 horsepower and an estimated 30 seconds over the course of just two laps. With the issue then being patched up but continuing to affect Checo just to a lesser degree than it did over those two laps where he got absolutely slapped across the face. So you may remember on the broadcast, Checo was on team radio and he was arguing with his race engineer saying that he's losing power with Checo and the race engineer having a pretty funny back and forth because Checo's like, I'm losing power. And then the race engineer's like, no, you're not. And Checo's like, uh, bruh, I'm the one driving. I think I know that I'm losing power. I'm losing four seconds per straight. And then the race engineer's like, okay, I'll look into it. And then he said, fail 5-0, fail 5-0, which I can only assume is denoting a sensor failure, the one that we found out about after the race. 
And then the car got closer to being back to normal after that, but Checo noted he was still kind of fighting the car from, you know, throughout the rest of the race after that happened. Red Bull have since claimed that another Red Bull 1-2 was likely if Checo did not suffer that issue, which does not, to me, seem out of the realm of possibility, considering Checo was fighting for P3 even with all the time that that issue cost him to lose. You may remember, Checo absolutely sent it on signs at turn one after the safety car, but suffered a lockup caused by a combination of Checo sending it down the less grippy, dirty side of the track, and a clever and calculated little turn-in by signs that caused Checo to have to adjust mid-break, losing him even more grip, so he just had a big old lockup there. Checo himself has since stated that he thinks he would have been overtaken by signs later on the race, or later on in the race, even if he had stuck that move. But the fact that he was still fighting Science for P3, even with that major issue, that at one point had Red Bull considering retiring Checo's car, they literally were like, yeah, you know, we considered retiring the car. And then he went on to get P4. Uh, But considering Checo was still able to fight for P3 after all that happened, it really does show just how much this circuit suited Red Bull. Um, It is kind of funny to mention, too. Checo said that he lost... Uh, the straight line speed is what he lost uh, with his issue. And that's why he thinks signs would have overtaken him. But clearly, uh car still pretty fast. If he was able to get P4. So, the second storyline was, will the weather in Miami affect the race weekend? Now, it was predicted to rain in Miami at least once during a Formula One session. And when it rains, it pours in Miami, both figuratively and literally. So there was thought to be a good chance that this race weekend, much like Imola's, was affected by some precipitation. However, this did not end up being the case, as rain did not end up affecting the race whatsoever. It rained before the Grand Prix, and it looked like we were going to get a little bit of rain later in the Grand Prix, but it just did not happen. Classic Florida that's impossible to predict rain. I don't know if you know this. I'm actually born and raised in Florida, the Tampa Bay area. Um, I know a lot of people think I'm from Wisconsin because I went to University of Wisconsin. You might think, who would go to the University of Wisconsin if you're from Florida? Uh, J-Bone. (laughs) J-Bone! J-Bone did that. But yeah, born and raised in Florida. I know how the Florida rain is. Just It'll just rain for 15 minutes. It'll be completely sunny out. Rain hard as crap for 15 minutes. Be completely sunny out again. You never know. Florida meteorologist, easiest job in the world. Nobody expects you to be right. You just got to go on TV, put on a suit, point to some clouds and be like, who knows? And then you get paid. And probably not that much money. It's like local news, but less money than they should. I respect local newscasters. Anyways, like I said, did not rain, uh, which don't blame them. Very hard to predict the Florida rain. And while the Florida rain did not affect the race, the Florida heat definitely did. The drivers certainly were suffering due to the heat mid-race. It was extremely hot. It was in the 90s with Valtteri Bottas referring to his car as a sauna. And that's a man who knows a thing or two about a sauna. Okay, so I trust his comparison. Everybody knows Bottas and pretty much everybody in Finland. Saunas all the time. I think the first time we meet Bottas in season one, or I guess season two of Drive to Survive, because they weren't really in season one, um, 
he takes us into a sauna in Finland. So if he says it's a sauna, J-Bone says it's a sauna. And yes, I'm saying sauna, not sauna, okay? That's how, that's how a lot of people say it. I had a friend who studied abroad in Finland, and he always came back and said sauna. Shouts to Joe. So now I say sauna. Just how it is. The third storyline was which midfield team will reign supreme in Miami? For the purposes of this, Mercedes was not counted as a midfield team, but everybody else was. So I decided to ride the hot hand with my guess being the very normie pick of McLaren with Alfa Romeo being my second choice. And honestly, I wouldn't say that any of the midfield teams had a particularly great showing at the Miami Grand Prix. None had double points finishes and midfield teams only occupied the last four points scoring positions of P7 to P10. Even if Seb and or Mick had achieved points finishes like they should have, get to that later, it would have still been the case that no midfield team had a double points finish. You could make a case that Alpine had the best midfield performance because they just missed out on a double points finish by a little over a tenth of a second, even with Alonso's two time penalties. But when one of your drivers gets two time penalties in one race, it's kind of hard to make a case for your team having had a good Grand Prix. So I'm just going to be like, you know, no midfield team had an exceptionally good Miami Grand Prix. I think this just goes to show how evenly matched the midfield teams are this season. There's truly no clear-cut backmarker as far as teams go, okay? Now, as far as drivers go, of course, that's a different story. Shouts to the GOAT, and unfortunately, still shouts to Mick. I will also get to that later, and I might cry. I might cry. It's worth noting that there was another big-time midfield DRS train, just like at Imola, that I think may become a trend this season. And to that, I say, choo-choo, all aboard the midfield DRS train, baby. The final storyline was Formula One returns to the United States. And it did so in style, uh, for better and for worse, as I'll be discussing later on. A quick glance at the list of famous people who attended the Miami Grand Prix tells you all you need to know about how popular Formula One is in the United States and how culturally relevant it is as well. Even Patrick Mahomes was there. LOL. For those of you who may not know why Americans were talking all about Martin Brundle's gridwalk, it's because he walked up to Paolo Banquero, a famous college basketball player, and mistook him for Patrick Mahomes, a famous NFL football player who is seven inches shorter than Bancaro. And it was pretty awkward. Um, but as Martin Brundle said afterwards, he doesn't even really like doing the grid walks. They just kind of have come to define his career. So he does them and he knows people really like them. I do not fault Martin Brundle. Uh, he needs to know a lot of times for grid walks, he's walking around and he's like, Pointing out people is like, oh, look, it's this person. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. How did you spot them? And I'll like know things about them and be like, oh, you have this coming up. Like he does his research. Okay. And especially if he doesn't even like doing them, I respect him even more because that's a tough job having to know not only like backstories on these celebrities, but also like what they look like. Cause a lot of them, you know, they have crazy fashion choices. 
Uh, they may be wearing sunglasses, hats. So I respect Martin Brundle. I do. But for real, the last time that Formula One raced in the United States uh, at the 2021 USGP, the most famous people in attendance who weren't part of the festivities were Megan the Stallion, Logan Paul, Ben Stiller, Serena Williams, and, of course, J-Bone, uh, who are all quite famous, minus J-Bone. But the list of famous Miami Grand Prix attendees is literally a who's who of pop culture. Justin Bieber, Michael Jordan, Michelle Obama, Tom Brady, Bad Bunny, David Beckham, Paris Hilton, Patrick Mahomes, who actually was there, he just wasn't Paolo Bancaro, DJ Khaled, Serena Williams, again, Dwayne Wade, Gabrielle Union, Pharrell, Ashton Kutcher, Dak Shepard, and the list goes on and on. Make no mistake, Formula One is more culturally relevant in the United States than it has ever been. And I do not see that stopping anytime soon. Now, let's discuss some additional storylines that have not yet been covered and that won't be covered by way of the upcoming listener voicemails. First up, I don't care what the Miami Grand Prix driver of the day voters decided. Alex Albin is, once again, my driver of the day. Albino somehow finished in the points in a Williams once again, this time going from P18 on the starting grid all the way up to P9. For those of you going P9, I thought he was P10, El Plando Alonso got a five-second time penalty after the race, his second of the day, as I mentioned earlier, that took him out of the top 10, moving Albon up to P9 and slotting Lance Stroll into a casual P10. Good for you, Lance. Maybe there really is something to Alex Albin's red hair magic. In case you're not aware, Alex Albin is superstitious, not just a little stitious, but superstitious about his red hair. A quote from Albin to Sky Sports F1 after he finished in the points in the Miami race is, no upgrades are ever needed. You just need to dye your hair. So the backstory here, Alex Albin achieved a points finish in Australia with red hair, but the red hair dye faded a bit between Australia and Imola, which Albin believes is why he was outside the points at the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Because of this superstition, he re-dyed his hair red ahead of Miami to bring back the good luck and huzzah, points. It's worth noting that Williams team members told Albin They'd dye their hair red if he finished in the points in Miami. So be on the lookout for some red-headed Williams team members come the Spanish Grand Prix. Next up, George Russell is still on a hot streak. Helped out by some upgrades that Mercedes brought to Miami and a very risky tire strategy that paid off, George had a great Grand Prix after a lousy qualifying going from P12 on the starting grid all the way to P5, much to the chagrin of a slightly ticked-off Lewis Hamilton who thought he should have been the one finishing P5 if it weren't for bad strategy. George Russell, I keep saying, I keep, why, can't, why did I mess his name up so much? George Russell, it's kind of like a tongue twister. Try to say George Russell three times fast. George Russell, George Russell, George Russell. Okay, it's not as hard as I thought it was. But maybe when you're doing a podcast, 
it's a little harder. That's what I'll tell myself. George Russell definitely got lucky for this to happen as his risky tire strategy of staying out longer than normal in hopes of getting a safety car worked out when he got one just in time thanks to Pierre Gasly's collision with Lando, which allowed George to make a cheap pit stop. Merci, Pierre, is what I imagine George said to Pierre after the race. It'd be kind of rude of him to do that, so I don't think he actually did it, but it's what he would have said if it would not have been rude. George went on to pass both Hamilton and Bottas in, on his newer medium tires and finish P5, continuing his incredible 2022 run of being the only driver to finish in the top five in every single race thus far in 2022. And finally, I want to do a quick I told you so. To all the haters and losers, of which there were many, who said I was wrong when I said that the pit straight was long enough for drivers to complete the overtake attempts that they start on the back straight, did you see where Max passed Leclerc? Did you watch the race? Did you see, haters? Hint, it was on the pit straight after Max made up a bunch of ground on Leclerc on the back straight. See, the pit straight was long enough. It was, well, unless you were Checo or, of course, Mick Schumacher. More on Mick later. F's in the chat for him now, though. And the F stands for failure to score his first ever points. Have you ever wanted to send an F in a chat, but were worried that your privacy might not be secure while doing so? Well then, boy, do I have just the service for you. This episode's sponsor, NordVPN, who is here to drastically enhance your web browsing experience and data security. No one likes to be watched or tracked, even if they have nothing to hide. That's why it's important you step up your privacy game whenever possible. If you aren't using a VPN right now, you're currently open to having your internet data creeped on in a big way. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network and is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. It creates an encrypted tunnel for your data, protects your online identity by hiding your IP address, allows you to use public Wi-Fi spots, hotspots safely, and more. VPNs are the only way to be sure that your real location and IP address are hidden, your online data is encrypted, and your browsing history is invisible to your internet service provider and other third parties. Everybody who cares about their privacy should be using a VPN right now, and NordVPN is the best and fastest VPN provider in the business. NordVPN is software, not hardware, and it is super easy to use across every major platform, whether it's Windows, Android, iOS, macOS, and Linux. Even your Android TV supports NordVPN. You can connect, you can connect with just one click, or you can enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. I personally love NordVPN because if you travel abroad, let's say, to go attend a Formula One race, you can make sure that you still have access to your favorite shows from your home country on location-based streamers like Netflix using NordVPN. Grab your exclusive Formula Bone F1 show NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash bone, B-O-N-E, bone, to get a huge discount on your NordVPN plan, plus free threat protection, plus one additional month for free. This deal is completely risk-free as well with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. A money-back guarantee, always. Always got to do that. Love it. There's a link for that deal in the description of this episode. Thank you to NordVPN. 
for supporting the Formula Bone F1 show. Of course, I need to now check in with you all regarding how my three bona fide race predictions fared at the Miami Grand Prix. My first race prediction was that Charles Leclerc would win the Miami Grand Prix. I think it's pretty obvious by now that that prediction did not hit as Max Verstappen won the race. I clearly overestimated the impact of Ferrari's upgrades and Leclerc's new internal combustion engine and or underestimated just how good the Red Bull is when it's going in a straight line. Probably both. Probably both. That thing is a rocket ship in a straight line. Like I said, I'm now, I'm now on the max for World Drivers Champion train. The reliability issues totally exist, but the longer the season goes on, the more they're going to figure stuff out. So if he's already competing like he is before they've even figured things out, I fear for Ferrari fans. I really fear for Ferrari fans throughout the rest of the season. My second race prediction was that Mick Schumacher would make it to Q3 in qualifying for the first time in his Formula One career in Miami. Of course he did not. (laughs) God. He did make it to Q2, so there's that. But unfortunately, he could only qualify last place in Q2, uh, P15. So there's that. My third and final prediction was that Carlos Sainz would be on the Miami Grand Prix podium. And ding, 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 I got that one right, folks. J-Bone! (laughs) J-Bone. After starting P2 on the grid for the Grand Prix, Sainz almost immediately got passed by Max, which didn't really matter much for Sainz's race, because he definitely would have gotten passed by Max eventually. But Charles Leclerc is probably a little angry that Sainz didn't get into a battle with Max, because that battle could have worn down Max's tires and made it harder for Max to overtake Leclerc. And, you know, could have changed the race up. But, like I said, Max was not Carlos's main enemy in the Grand Prix. That would be Checo, who fought hard with signs all race and who 100% would have passed Carlos had he not suffered that sensor malfunction. Carlos was helped out by Red Bull's reliability issues in a big way in Miami. But at the end of the day, A podium is a podium, and not only does that mean your boy J-Bone was right about this one of my three, it also should mean an increase in confidence for Carlos Sainz, who really, really needed one in Miami. At the end of the day, going one for three on predictions is infinitely better than going zero for three, and I, J-Bone, for one, take solace in that fact. But next week, next week I'm going to get all of my predictions right. I promise. Next up, it is time to respond to some Imola-themed voicemails left by Formula Bone F1 Show listeners. If you're new to the Formula Bone F1 Show, welcome. After every race this season, I do one of these race recap podcasts, and a large part of them is me responding to some of the voicemails left by Formula Bone F1 Show listeners on the Bone Phone, 1-833-200-0966. So during or after each race this season, whenever you have an interesting thought, hot take, complaint, or anything else like that, make sure to give the Bone Phone, the Bone Phone, a ring. Okay, call to the Bone Phone. For a chance at your voicemail that you leave on the bone phone being played on the podcast. That number again is 1-833-200-0966. 
and it's in the description of this episode in case you didn't get it in your phone in time right there. If you call in but do not end up having your call played, it does not mean it was a bad call. I just don't have time to get to every call each week. So just keep on calling in and you'll get on eventually. Without further ado, here's the first call. Hey, J-Bone, it's TJ from Montana. I just want to start off by saying what a race that was. It was really cool to see, you know, F1 come to the United States again, but this time it'll be two times this year. And I noticed there's a lot of orange in the grandstands. My question is today, with Nick Schumacher's and Seb's crash, do you think that will affect their almost paternal-like relationship within the paddock? Thanks for making the show. Love it. Hope to hear it on the show. If the collision between Vettel and Mick didn't have you ugly crying at your TV screen during the race, go to either a doctor or a priest because you're either dead or have no soul. With just four laps remaining in the Miami Grand Prix, both Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher were on pace for points finishes. Mick Schumacher was fighting for his first ever points finish in Formula One, something he has been waiting so long for, and he was having a great race. And Sebastian Vettel, Mick's mentor and one of the most important figures in Mick's life, was fighting for back-to-back points finishes after an awful start to the season and was also having a great race. Cue one of the most gutting racing incidents in a long time. As Mick went for an overtake on Seb going into turn one and ended up colliding with him. Seb had so much damage that he couldn't finish the race, while Mick's car was drivable but had to be pitted, causing him to drop all the way to last behind even Latifi. Sad. To answer your question, though, absolutely not. I 100% do not think this incident will affect the relationship between Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher in any way whatsoever, as their relationship goes way deeper than anything on track could ever come close to breaking, with Mick's father, Michael, having served as Vettel's mentor when he was first getting into F1, and Vettel returning the favor to Michael's son, Mick, as he's getting into F1. That's not a sort of friendship or relationship that anything on track could ever break. I will say that I really want to see the conversation that they had after the race, because I could use a good cry. Next call. Jay Bone, calling you from the track itself. Want to get your opinion. What do you think? Good track, not such a good track. Do we need to modify it? What's your thoughts? Jay Bone. Jay Bone. Well, as most of you already know, I believe that we do 100% need to modify the track because if the circuit does not go right through a packed hard rock stadium next year, instead of a round and empty one, I will protest the race. I promise you. But as far as the current iteration of the Miami international autodrome goes, I give it a 7.5 out of 10. I enjoyed all the DRS straights and the tricky corners they ended in, especially turns one and 17, but I do wish we got some DRS chicken via those two close-together DRS zones on the back and pit straights. By the way, be on the lookout for Formula Bone's first special edition Formula One t-shirt of the year, which has to do something with what I just said, but I can't give any more hints than that. Follow me on Twitter, at Formula Bone, or on any social media, at Formula Bone. That shirt will be coming out in the next couple weeks, and I think you're going to like it. I really do. My biggest gripes with the circuit 
are with the two technical sections of turns 4 to turn 8 and turn 11 to turn 16. While I didn't expect any on-track overtaking in those sections, which we oddly got at one point courtesy of Seb, I thought that those sections would cause some excitement in the form of major lockups or curb jumps, which we got pretty much none of in the race. And I'm not sure if these sections design or the driver's high skill level is to blame here, but still, they were way less exciting than I wanted them to be. Like, the turn 14-15 chicane was so exciting all weekend. During practice, during qualifying, we got, like, nothing there during the race. I think I think everybody was taking it a little bit too easy because they were like, I'm not going to let this stupid chicane with its big curves and its close wall mess my race up, so they all took it a little bit safe. And because you can't pass there, it didn't really matter for anything. So that's my take. Could be wrong, but... I'm standing by it. For comparison to my score, Toto Wolf gave the circuit a 9 out of 10. That's very high, Toto. Sheesh. Who's paying you? He singled out the two long DRS straights uh, and the turn 17 braking zone as great successes. Great success. Let's be real, though. Let's keep it 100 here. 100 out of 100. The race was pretty boring. Minus Max's pass on Leclerc until we got that safety car fairly late in the race. Which won, thank God, we got that safety car. Or this race probably would have been pretty tame all the way through. And two, the safety car serves as an important reminder that you can never give up on F1. Chaos can come at the drop of a helmet in F1. So until the checkered flag is waved, never count out chaos. Side note. Every time I see the lapped cars may now overtake message from race control during a safety car period, I have Abu Dhabi flashbacks and it rattles me for about 30 minutes. Speaking of flashbacks, I want you right now to flashback to the last time you felt insanely comfortable. Just, you felt great. Okay, now flash forward to the present. Because I'm about to tell you how you can feel insanely comfortable every day by getting some Bird Dogs shorts, baby. This episode of the Formula Bone F1 show is sponsored by Bird Dogs, who make the best shorts you will ever wear, I promise you. And right now, you can get a free Bird Dogs tumbler with your order when you use code FBONE at checkout on birddogs.com. That's F-B-O-N-E, F-BONE, for a free tumbler when you buy the most insanely comfortable shorts, pants, and or joggers on planet Earth. I'm wearing the joggers right now, if you were wondering. I'm going to focus, though, on Bird Dog's shorts here because it is most likely either short season or rapidly approaching short season where you live, depending on your distance from the equator and the hemisphere you live in and all that geography thing stuff forever. I'll be wearing Bird Dog shorts all summer long, all summer long, because you can do anything in them. Wear them while watching Formula One, working out, playing sports, sleeping, baking a loaf of banana bread in the shape of Nikita Masbin's head, and even swimming. Bird dog shorts are the best because you can get them with built-in underwear that feels better on your skin than the finest silk sheets and is also super breathable, does not bunch up like traditional underwear, and is quick drying. I love to wear my bird dogs in summer because you're ready to jump into a pool at any time, as long as you remember to take your phone out of your pocket. That's a PSA for you. Now, as far as the free tumbler goes, Bird Dogs found Yeti's $90 tumbler, copied it, and now Bird Dogs is giving it to you as a free gift with your order when you use code FBONE, F-B-O-N-E. So go to birddogs.com right now, enter promo code FBONE, 
and they'll throw in that free tumbler with your order. You will not want to ever take your bird dogs off. I promise you, I never take mine off. There's a link for that deal in the description of this episode. Thank you to bird dogs for supporting the Formula Bone F1 show. Next call. Hey, J-Bone, it's Seabass calling from Chicago. Now, I think I've got a hot take here for us fans in the U.S. I think the tickets are going to get even more expensive now in the years coming since uh, the Miami GP was kind of a hit here in the States for uh, U.S. fans. And so with that, tickets are just going to go through the roof, especially for Vegas, Miami next year, and even Coda. That is a full-on racetrack that can seat tons of people. I sadly agree and think that tickets to F1 races in the United States are probably only ever going to get more expensive from here on out. However, I think the United States Grand Prix will remain within wallet's reach of way more Americans than Miami or Vegas, as it has a massive capacity compared to Miami, almost double with room for more grandstands if they want to build them. And it also attracts less people than the Miami race did and the Vegas race will. Given its location, it's much harder to get to Austin than Miami or Vegas. And although Austin is a great city, I literally live here, it is not Miami or Vegas. Another thing about Austin, part of the reason I'm saying it's hard to get to is that our airport stinks out loud. I feel like we only have like under 35 gates for the 11th biggest city in the United States. It's absurd. It's very small. It's always really crowded. It's like a nice airport because all they made it so all, like, all the restaurants are local, which is really cool because when you're in there, you're like, oh, I can actually get good food, not like a freaking airport like fast food that's always about 35% worse than the actual fast food like outside of the airport, you know? Like if you're going to a, a McDonald's in an airport, you're not expecting it to be anywhere near as good as a real McDonald's. It's kind of how I feel. But the Austin airport, great food options, needs to be bigger. That's what I say. So all that is to say, I'm going full supply and demand econ 101 on this one. And I'm claiming that while the USGP will continue to get more expensive. <laughs> oh my gosh. Excuse me. I'm just going to leave that in. <laughs> I just freaking sneezed big time. Uh, while the USGP will continue to get more expensive, it should not get to Miami or what we all presume to be Vegas levels. And it will be the most affordable US F1 race. That being said, we are definitely going to get to a point soon, if we are not already there, where it'll be cheaper to buy a plane ticket to another country and attend an F1 race than to attend a US race. It's all just pretty depressing, honestly. Next call. What's up, J-Bone? This is Price calling from Brooklyn. Curious your take uh, on all the pomp and circumstance at the uh, Miami GP. I know they're getting roasted in the comments on, on Instagram and on Twitter. I kind of don't mind all that stuff, all the, the helmets and the and the confetti and the police escort. Like, one, these races should be able to do local stuff that adds kind of local flavor so that all the races feel different. And also, like, I, I don't mind when they make cringy mistakes on the side of enthusiasm. Like, everyone was so pumped to have the race, and, and they went overboard on some stuff, but, like, it's much better than U.S. races looking lazy and, like, not, not rolling out the red carpet. So, interested in your take on that. I feel like it's been a huge overreaction from people uh, complaining about this. Like, the helmets are fun. It's local flavor. Like, it's, it's cool. They'll work some of the stuff out in the future. But all in all, I thought it, uh, a huge success. Uh, thanks, J-Bone. 
I get what you're saying, because while the fake water in the harbor got absolutely roasted across the globe all week long, I think it looked pretty cool and was certainly way cooler than just a normal grandstand would have been. And I do always respect taking risks, overplaying it safe. But for me, it's all on a case-by-case basis, and I think they took too many risks that didn't pan out. Or I guess I should say, they took a lot of risks, and the percentage of them that panned out made it so that they probably should have taken fewer risks, in my opinion. For example, I thought the fancy little cabanas with their mini swimming pools, complete with influencers wearing mermaid fin bathing suits, was pretty cringy. And then they kept showing it on the broadcast for some reason. I'm like, I don't want to see this. The confetti and police escort were also pretty lame. That's the weirdest confetti I've ever seen. That was some Spider-Man action, okay? It literally was like they had Peter Parker just shooting a web at the podium. Max looked like he was trapped in a freaking net. Like he was like he was a fish in the Biscayne Bay of Miami. Is that really a Miami Bay? I think I actually got that right. Um, but yeah, didn't like the confetti or the police escort. I also hated the Pirelli football helmets. Instead of hats, come on, just do the hats. But maybe I only hated the helmets because I'm an American and maybe F1's international audience liked that crossover. A large percentage of the Formula Bone F1 show's listeners are not American. So if you're an international Formula Bone F1 show listener, I want to know your thoughts on the football helmets. Did you like them? Did you not? Leave your response in my YouTube comments or tweet it at me. At the end of the day, I think the organizers put on a phenomenal event that went on pretty much without a hitch, and I'm very excited to hopefully attend the Miami Grand Prix next season. That's it for today's episode of the Formula Bone F1 Show. If you enjoyed the show and want to help me out, I'd really appreciate it if you could toss me a subscription, like, comment, review, rating, or any other form of engagement on whatever platform that you are on right now so that said platform and its algorithm like me more. I respond to pretty much every YouTube comment, by the way, and if you do not believe me, try it out. Try it out. For Formula One updates between now and my Spanish Grand Prix preview podcast, you can follow me on all social media at Formula Bone and at my real name, Jared Borislow. That's J-A-R-E-D-B-O-R-I-S-L-O-W. Until next time, J-Bone!